0: Welcome to the Dispatch Podcast. I'm Steve Hayes, joined today by Tim Miller, writer at large for The Bulwark, and author of a new book, Why We Did It, a travelogue from the Republican road to hell, out last week. Uh, Tim and I have a revealing, spirited conversation about his work in Republican politics, conservative media, and what motivated Republicans to get behind Donald Trump. I hope you'll stick around.
1: Tim Miller, welcome to the Dispatch Podcast. Happy to have you. It is my honor to be on the Dispatch Podcast. Long-term dream of mine, actually. Yeah, long-time dream, <laughs> I, bet. I bet. You know, you've been hitting me with texts
0: and emails pleading to be on the Dispatch Podcast. Mm-hmm. No, that's not yeah. true. None of that's Stop true. you. No, really excited to have you. This, this was uh, a very fun listen. I did not read it. I listened to it because I've been doing a lot of of driving uh very fun listen tons of information stories that you and i have talked about before stories that are parallels with my own life in some cases Uh, and i'm very excited to have you on to 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 walk us through it let me before we jump into the to the book itself ask a couple big picture questions related to your experience in politics Um, how did you first get interested in politics? sounds like you were interested in politics from a very young age. And when you got interested in politics, why were you interested in Republican politics?
1: Yeah, good question. I got in very young. I was super interested in politics. Um, My parents weren't. My grandmother was a big Republican, and I actually was most interested in politics, firstly, when I had a bet with her that Bill Clinton was going to beat George H.W. Bush. I don't know, something about my middle school Uh, self was just convinced i I sensed it in in bill clinton's you know uh, uh, man musk i guess that he was going to beat george hw bush so i I regret that with with, in retrospect but it was you know it it got me kind of addicted to the politics of politics Uh, but after that i was attracted to to republican politics my first campaign i worked on was in 1998 for bill owens um, who was uh, running for governor of Colorado in a primary at the time. Um, my neighbor was a big supporter of his. I was lucky and privileged enough to not have to flip burgers in college. And he was like... And hey, you're I'm from Aaron. Colorado. <laughs> I'm from Colorado, yeah, yeah. So he was like, I know you're into politics. I was in high school at the time. Why don't you just intern for, for this guy that's like a friend of mine. I'm a supporter of his. He's running for governor. Um, uh, Bill wins that race uh, in November of 98 by you know, a hair late night as it was running against the incumbent Lieutenant Governor Gail Shetler, you know, just the excitement of that uh, was, you know, I was exhilarated by the moment I was hooked for, for, uh, you know, uh, about being in campaign politics from then on. And I went on to read Owens's mail in the governor's office. I went back and interviewed Polis for the Bulwark earlier this year and like had him take me back to the mail room for, you know, remember my old high school days, I was like Owens's mail reader. And then Owens went to the, uh, RGA Republican Governor Association, and so I entered there, and they sent me to do various governors' races. So I, I was hooked from the start. Um, what got me into Republican politics versus Democratic politics, and and I talk about this in the book. Um, I, I was I was attracted to. I remember the '96 Dole convention, and I really was drawn to just this kind of patriotism of it. You know, this love of America. Um, my father is, you know, I guess the cliche at this point, but it was like the ups from the bootstraps kind of guy. He became successful, did not, you know, was not a trust fund kid by any means. I got sex with his own account. And so, you know, that his, his life journey, I think impacted me as a Catholic family. Everyone was very pro-life in my family. Uh, So just kind of culturally, I, I was more attracted to the Republicans in addition to just being really drawn into you know, this, this shining city of the hill element of, of Republicanism, right? Like this is a, this is a great country, you know, I, w- I want to, you know, to, uh, the people want to come here. Um, I want to foster that and, and continue, um, you know, down the, what was the Bill Crystal group in the nineties, the American Greatness Conservatism. It was was American Greatness Conservatism, right? This is what I was drawn to. I was always, even as at that time though, like moderate, right? I was always like pro, like being pro immigration was part of it. I was turned off. I remember being turned off by the way the Clintons treated Elian, right? In that time, right? It was the Republicans who were more welcoming to refugees and people coming through, right? So that was an element, you know, I, I write about in the book how you know, I was initially, you know, pro-gun, but, uh, you know, I've, but very quickly kind of came squishy on that. Columbine happened while I was, um, uh, while I was in, in high school, uh, in Colorado, right down the road from me. Um, I'm gay, obviously. So I was never like a massive social conservative. So, you know, I was always kind of a squishy Republican, but those were the, those were the things that, you know, that the, the that, American greatness, shining city on the Hill element to it was what really, really drew me to, to the Republican side.
0: And that's reflected in the, the kind of Republicans you went on to work for. I would say John McCain, John Huntsman, uh, the Republican National Committee. How, how did you sort of take us through your journey sort of upward in Republican politics to the point where you became, I mean, really, you know, you and I dealt with each other on these campaigns several times. Um, you know, you became somebody that people had to talk to. If you were covering Republican politics, we had to know you. We had to talk to you. We didn't always want to. <laughs> but, but, but we
1: had to, uh, because you were good at it. How did you, how did you get to the point where you were doing that? Yeah. You once praised me and said, I was good at uh, delivering a hit with my tongue in my cheek. And at the time I took that as a really high praise was that, that I was either you know, kind of good at that. And now as, as we'll get into in the books, so, so now that kind of makes me cringe looking back on that a little bit, um, <laughs> that I, that I was so good at that. Uh, it makes me kind of, I don't know, have a little bit of shame. Um, but, uh, uh, look, I, so I got the job in – I was a campaign gypsy, right, during the RGA stuff, as I said. Um, I wanted to do a presidential. I went to Iowa. Um, there was a guy named Terry Nelson, who I'm sure you know, high-level political c- consultant. He had consulted on one of my races. We got along, and he was from Iowa. And he said, he basically said, go to Iowa, meet the press there. And, you know, I'm going to run one of these campaigns in 2008, probably. Right. And I can you can be my Iowa PR person. I mean, it wasn't exactly that transactional, but that was kind of the concept. Right. And at the time, I thought he's gonna work for George Allen. And I had another George Allen and Dick Wadhams was uh, was George Allen's consultant. He was Bill Owens' consultant. So I thought at the time, I thought maybe George Allen might be the first candidate that I worked for. And, and and ironically, at the time, I thought McCain was a little maybe too liberal on, on the, for my tastes <laughs> on certain things. I thought the campaign finance thing I didn't like, and um, he won me over on the um, interrogation. But before I worked for him, I, I disagreed with him on the Guantanamo stuff. But but he quickly won me over on that. Um, uh, so anyway, uh, Terry takes a job for McCain in '08, and so I you know I, I got I got brought along with that. So that was not really out of principle. That was like a career thing, and, and that was where I had an in. Uh, but I grew to like John McCain very much, uh, working for him. And then uh, I come back to D.C., uh, leave, take a break from politics, come out of the closet, need to deal with my personal life. <laughs> I talk about that a little bit. I try to do too much TMI in the book on that for the straights, but there's a little bit um, of, uh, of that because uh, I think it's important to deal with. And, um, and so at that time, I was kind of out of politics during the Tea Party. Wave, and I do think I look back on that now, and I was very—I I saw a lot of the the, the icky stuff. You know, the, the, there were sure some principled parts of the Tea Party, but there were other parts that I think were obviously bigoted, reactionary, and I saw that at the time. And um, and, and for a while, I was maybe considering not getting back into politics, and I got sucked back in for John Huntsman, and that was a case where I was like, man, I can really do this within my integrity. This is a guy who I agree with on everything, right? I mean. He's pro-life and, and one smaller government, but he also believes in climate change and is for civil unions. And like, this is like my kind of Republican. And so I get back in to be his spokesperson. And, um, despite the fact that our campaign didn't do very good, I did pretty good. Um, you know, the Romney people hated me because I was just so brutal at eviscerating them, um, in various, uh, attacks and, uh, because I was so good at that, Matt Rhodes at the time said, I want you to come do the RNC. He's like, I don't I can't Rhodes, get you who, who ran. Who ran Romney's Romney's campaign. Yeah. Yep. I can't get you to go to Boston. He's like, Too many people hate you here for being mean to Mitt, but I can get you at the RNC and you can make the Obama people feel like my colleagues feel. And I said, Great. So I took that job. And and this is, I think, where, you know, as I look back on my career, I start to have a little bit of not regrets, but like reflection on how I got really caught up in the moment. I was the RNC's you know, anti Obama hitman. Like all the uh, Stephen Hayes is calling me, wants to talk to me. That ends. We start America Rising, which is an Oppo research firm, fa- like uh, based on savaging Democrats. And it was like within two years, I went from getting back in to work for a guy I really agreed with on everything and 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 was earnest about, and John Huntsman to. I'm starting an Oppo research firm, savaging every Democrat, no matter whether they're moderate or liberal or whatever. And I look back on that and think, man, I the, I, I, I got corrupted in, in a way um, more than I realized at the time. I just didn't think about it. It was part of the political game. Uh, and so then I got back in with Jeb. I uh, stayed at America Rising throughout that time, then did Jeb, which was also an earnest pick. Um, I was, I was, I don't what this is going to self, sound self aggrandizing or whatever, but like multiple candidates were. Court, I hate the word courting, like wanted me, you know. Um, but I wanted Jeb. I thought he was the best. Um, I still think that. Um, I love Jeb. And, uh, and then, you know, now we get up to Trump time.
0: Yeah, and now we get up to Trump time, um, <laughs> collapsing the history of it. I want to dwell for a yeah. minute on the, on the, on, sure. on, on your sort of, on the, I don't know if we'd call it inertia um, that, that took you from sort of rejoining Republican politics to becoming this hitman. Um, you spent some time on the book. I find it absolutely fascinating. I think in some ways your reflections there uh, give people who are not involved in the day-to-day politics one of the best windows on why this happens to people. And you later, I think, can speak with some authority about why this has happened to so many people in the Trump world because this has happened to you before this moment. So t- what was that like? I mean, h- how does that happen? It sounds, if you're not in politics, if you, if you work at a bank Or, you know, you're you work the third shift in manufacturing or something like nobody will understand how you, you jump in and you've got this guy and you think he's great and lots of integrity and you're doing it for the cause and everything. And then four years later, you find yourself as this total hatchet man, like just bringing down the Dems. Like,
1: yeah, explain that. How does that happen? Yeah, I really I'm, I th- I'm glad that you felt that that was a good window because I was writing that for the banker. You know, I, t- I tried to write this book where it's like there's some goodies for Steve Hayes who knows all this stuff, but also that is explanatory for people who are outside of politics. And like the initial title for the book was actually the game, right? And um, and I, I updated it, but the fir- and that's really if I made the book two parts, like the first half would have been called the game, you know, part one. Um, and 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 that is, you know, politics is, you know. The culture in DC is—it's such this team sport, right? And 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 this is obvious, but it's worth just kind of thinking about for a second. Like, I really was closer in politics to like Heidi Heitkamp, you know, or Joe, Democratic Senator, yeah, 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 than I was to Ted Cruz, right? Honestly, like if you went down by down on the issues, okay, but they were on the other team. Right. Like, I picked my team and I was for sort a of moderate republic. And I think this is true on the other side. I, I tell a story in the book about how there's this guy that I interviewed. We said he never voted for a Republican president in his life. Very mm-hmm. prominent person. If I told you this was, you'd be like, what? Like very and he prominent. he worked for Republicans. Yeah. High level, yeah. high level, high, high, high level Republicans. Because but they were tended to be the more center right Republicans. And so he was like, I don't know. I thought Obama it was cool that he's the first black president. And Sarah Palin may be worried. And then all of a sudden in 2012, I took a pass. And then all of a sudden Trump comes around. And here I am 20 years later. I've never, I'm, I'm a high level Republican operative. I never voted. So um you know, I, I think that that is part of this culture in D.C., and I think it's less so now. We can get into some of that. I think there's some good, elements, some bad. But particularly when I was coming up in the post-West Wing world, I, you know, I think that for a lot of people who aren't ideologues, there was this kind of Bush gore. Like, is there that much difference between them, right? Like, Dole clinton i wrote about this and and michael lewis writes he was like the Dolan clinton staffers were like the same like they basically like was there that much a difference between scott reed and james carville issue by issue maybe abortion right uh, yeah and so and so you you get into the sport of this you get into the war room side of it and 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 and, and that's the culture and so you know well, well well we all get into politics with some earnestness about why we picked a side it isn't totally jaded right you know you get caught up in this, and then what happens is you become detached from like well, what is the point of this? right? I want my person to be elected so that they are you know yielding better policy results from for people like that becomes totally detached from what a political campaign person now a policy person in d c still thinks about that, but a political campaign person. Their job just becomes what's the tactic that I can use to win, you know, and how can I help my team win, and that helps my candidates, which in turn helps my career. So there's an ambition element to this. Um, there is people sh- people, people kind of look down, look askance at you if you bring up <laughs> moral, ethical consider not, not mean you know, ethical, ethical if it like goes way over line, but. You know, if you're the person in the room that's like, I don't know, should we really be sending out this tweet? Like, it's a little, it's a little bit over the top, right? Or you know, we're really inflaming people. Should we really send out this email? You know, if you become the person that's saying that every week, you, you know, you get sent to the back office, right? Like, that's not what we're doing here. Like, we're here to win. We're here to raise as much money as we can. We're here to help our poll numbers, and so and it just happens like that. Like that was why I tried to tell that story between Huntsman and and America Rising. It was only a year and a half. And and to and and I just justified it. I you know part of it's inertia, part of it's you just put aside, you know you don't worry about it. Well, I'm just one cog, right? I'm just one right. cog, and I'm just just the deputy communications director in the, the RNC. Like, well, who cares if we put out one email? And, and and what happens is this entire like culture, you know, gets created where where now in the Trump era, what you and I saw was people don't even think about it. people like don't like don't even. You know, it, it becomes problematic to point out to somebody that they are complicit in something that is immoral rather, yeah. than, rather than it being problematic to be part of it because that's just the way the culture is. Yeah, I want
0: to I dive much deeper in, in a little bit in this split between what you call the ideologues and the party establishment types because one of the most interesting things as I listened to the book was your sort of constant surprise that these people were doing this. And as somebody who was an ideologue or is an ideologue, I mean, I'm a conservative, I'm a policy guy, I'm a movement guy. I never cared that much about the politics of it. And to me, it was the easiest thing to understand was that all of you establishment campaign hacks would just flip because you didn't really care about the policies, the way that, you know, you guys would call us the the mouth breathers or the, you know, whatever. Um, it's a very it's a very interesting thing and I, we both i think respond well, yeah, to it part in, of it was because i knew
1: you know i don't know you don't want to think the worst of all of your colleagues right i don't know you know i think that there's like a clarity from being outside of it right and this is part of this is part of what i'm saying about being caught up in the culture as just this one really quick example i include in the book i or, or, or uh, two i pair them together an obama staffer at a bar asked me how i sleep at night working for an anti-gay candidate and i was at a bar full of democrats Everyone. The Democrat, we're talking about the Democrats here. Everyone at that bar agreed that that dude was the dick. You know, nobody came up, like, everybody kind of separated us, and were like, they were chiding him. And, like, they're like, are you all right? Like, it's cool. You can hang out with us. Republicans are allowed here. Right? Like, this is, okay. Number two, a guy wrote on my Facebook page, America Rising, degrading the discourse. Like, this, how do you sleep at night? All of my friends. Like, that guy's a dick. That guy's a dick the dicks were kind of right in both those cases, right? And so that I just think that in some levels, like maybe they could have been nicer about it, right? But America Rising was kind of degrading this discourse. It was pretty weird that I was working for an anti-gay marriage candidate, being a gay person. Uh, you know, there may be justifications for both things, but they, but they both kind of punctured this little bubble that we all live in, right? And so this is why I think I got so surprised because I lived in this bubble where I assumed that everybody was kind of like me and had, we yeah you know, we're just playing this little game, and we all good attentions, and if things get too far we'll we'll rein it back in. and that's kind of what I just assumed. do you assume the best of the people that you're in this in this little bubble with and and it turned I turned out to be totally wrong about that well, and there's one
0: place where we did have real real parallels because I assumed on an ideological level that everybody was the same as me. you know when i when when I would go i remember I used this as part of sort of the speeches that I gave uh, when I talked to groups around the country there was the Gallup polling on how people self-identify ideologically. And, you know, it'd be 38% described were self-described conservatives, many more than were self-described liberals. And I thought, aha, all these people care about reducing the national debt and strong <laughs> national defense just the way I do. And it turns out that couldn't have possibly been more wrong. <laughs> like, that is not actually, what nobody care. cares about
1: that. They're like 2% I mean, of you very care about few that. few
0: people, too few people cared about it.
1: Yeah, I got to tell you, Steve, really quick, I did a lot of interviews for the book where I was asking everybody why they did it. Um, and a lot, and out of everybody who went all, on along with the Tea Party stuff, not a single interview did it come up. They say, well, I just had to stick with Trump because I care so much about reducing government spending. <laughs> like, I was just so passionate about that. Yeah, you know, so passionate about that, that I had to stick along with him. No, yeah, no, I didn't hear that one time. And as a candidate,
0: he didn't even pretend, you know, he's like, yeah, right. he, he ran against Paul Ryan and said, I'm, I'm not for yeah, re- exactly. entitlement or for him. I don't so you mentioned before that you're gay, uh, you do yeah. spend some time in the book. Um, I found that really interesting because you related it directly to this sort of introspection that you did through the Trump era. Um, what was that like? I mean, how, let, me, let me just ask you the question the way that you just framed it. How, how did you justify working for an anti-gay candidate?
1: You know the the overarching answer is compartmentalization, which I get into in the book. You just you just tell yourself, ah, hey, it's not that big of a deal. There are other issues. It's just a job. You know, compartmentalization was made a little easier. You know, by things like Obama wasn't for gay marriage when I first started, right? So you start to justify it. now. Technically, right? <laughs> you that's an easy talking point. There are a lot of easy talking. There's the whole at its core, this book is about the stories that you tell yourself to tell to to comfort yourself when you're making ethical questions, right? It's like. Well, yeah, it's true. Obama was against was also against gay marriage, but like he was for civil unions, and he wasn't for don't ask, don't tell. Right? I mean, like on balance, like okay. So, but that was something I told myself, and um, and and I also kind of sensed that we were on a glide path towards towards gay rights. You know, be you know, kind of we we're in the inevitable winners of this. You know, and so I felt like I didn't, I don't need to. It's not that big of a deal, right? Like this is going to get resolved here soon in my favor. So I tell myself all these stories, and um. And, and, and justify it. You know, I want my candidate to win. And, and I, I, I did an interview with the advocate about this back in 09. I was, I, you know, there were other gay out Republicans, but a lot of them had retired. I, I, like, like 2009, I was like the most prominent, I guess, gay out Republican, really, like staffer. Um, and so they like, did an interview with me about this. How did you do that? And, and the answer was basically, well, I wanted John McCain to win. And I, he, I figured he couldn't win being for gay marriage. Simple as that. Like, this is the game. Like, Again, you just have to deal with it. And and so, okay. I mean, maybe that's 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 defensible. You know, if you feel really strongly about all these other issues, but I, it's not as if I was dealing with that day and day out and thinking about it and thinking, okay, well, <laughs> maybe I should also be fighting for gay rights on the side. Or I don't right. know. Maybe I should do right. something. Else. I wasn't doing any of that. I just was justifying it. And then occasionally, things—the little compartment in your brain—would break open. I was at the RNC when oh my god i'm having a senior moment what the supreme the anti-doma supreme court case before obergefell um yeah you know, uh, uh was was uh, came down and uh and i have to help Reince masterpiece uh, yeah yeah I, uh, no that's the cake shop the uh the one oh man the one before obergefell shows you shows you the fact that i wasn't in the fight but i can't remember this, the name of this, the scotus but the thing no, that I'm overturned doma uh the thing that overturned doma um i had to write the the press release with rights on that i was just like and I just remember feeling really bad about that. Like, what am I doing? Why am I? Why am I doing this? I should be celebrating. Explaining I want to be why today.
0: Republicans thought this was a yeah, bad. We're idea.
1: against this. Yeah, and you know, Reince was saying, "Well, it's good that you're here. You're helping us tone down the statement or whatever." And so that's another way you justify it. You're like, "Okay, I'm the good gay in the room, right? Like, I can help make this make this a little less bigoted." But but that wasn't. I wasn't within my integrity. I, I wanted to be celebrating that day. I don't want to be you know wordsmithing some PR statement. Uh, the same thing happens when a burger a burger fell comes down a couple of years later. I was with Jeb at the time and it's just like, you feel icky inside. I'm like, why am I doing this? I, you know, Jeb's, I, I think a good at heart on this. I, I believe that. And so that's another thing you use to justify it. But like, you know, I, I should have been speaking up about this and, and I, I should have been in this fight. Like these are the most important things in my life. So anyway, I, my point in the book in telling this is a, to wrap myself on the knuckles, but B it's just to say, If I could justify this, uh, you know, with all the other rationalizations, some policy, some career-oriented, some just plain compartmentalization, uh, helping people that were actively, you know, trying to prevent what is now, like, the most important things in my life, my husband and my child, why? How, how easy is it for somebody then to go work for Trump when their life might not even been affected that much? You know, they just start to think, well, you know, the mean tweets, and <laughs> the border, right. I'm not at the border, right? Like how easy, uh, I, so it doesn't give me empathy for them really, but it, it helps me, it helps me understand and try to explain their, their mindset, right? Because it's like, I, I did it easily. Um, you know, there were only a couple times where, where I felt, I felt bad about myself. Um. And, and so, and this was something that directly impacted me. A yeah. lot of the Trump stuff didn't really directly impact the people that were working for them. It was ephemeral, right? It was like, what is this impact on the body politic? <laughs> right? Right. Um, right? That's a, that's a lot, you know, so, so you can understand why people go along with it. and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase
2: necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
0: I want to spend a few minutes on the media because I think this is, um, especially for our listeners who are not involved in day-to-day politics or not in Washington. This was, I spent a lot of time thinking about um, conservative media and how conservative media has evolved, why some of it works, why some of it doesn't work. You and I will have some disagreements here, but I found the the section that you um, devoted to understanding conservative media and in particular your interactions with conservative media, just really revealing. Um, you were dealing with people at places like Breitbart um, having this you know, very sort of mutually beneficial relationship on, on a sort of personal professional level that had, I think, profound long-term consequences for the way that the media operate. So how did you, you've just described your, your own approach to this, your own uh, ideology. How did you get to the point where you had very strong relationships with people at Breitbart? You could get Stories onto Breitbart. You could get stories into these other sort of alt right websites. How does that happen? As a as a party guy who doesn't agree with a lot of what you're seeing there.
1: Yeah, relationship building. I don't. I thought it was clever. I thought it helped my candidates. It did help my candidates at times. Right. Help my clients. I wanted to get a pat on the head from clients. You know, this is this is why I, the book is a little. I hope for some people is a little bit universal. Right. I mean, is there not analogs to this and business and? Law and, you know, oil, right? I mean, like, there are a million industries where you're like, well, I want my boss to be happy. And my boss is going to be happy if I land a piece in Breitbart. I don't know. I went back and read some of the Breitbart articles I landed and I was like, "Uh, you know, I deserved a medal for some of this stuff. (laughs) And it was crazy the way that these guys would write nice stuff about, like, my squishy candidates because I favor traded with them. But, but that's, that, but explain but, that, explain that, explain that, like, how does that work? I mean,
0: yeah, and, and sure. why do you do it? Like to me, as somebody who was watching this unfold in real time, I'm looking at positive articles about Jeb Bush and Breitbart. And my thought is, I can't believe Jeb's campaign is normalizing Breitbart.
1: Right. And you yeah. were. And they were it too, no. and I... Yeah, and I and I I my sword on this one. I was I and at the time, I, you know, you're like we're in a campaign, like we're we're trying to win, and like I've like the the who who reads by, by Republican primary voters that hate us, and so if I can get a free press release and an article in front of a bunch of Republican primary voters, like isn't it my job to do that? And so, so how, how did that happen? It, right? get, get, yeah, just spend sure,
0: a minute sure, 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 on sure. that example. I mean, I just think that example was was great and and it's a, it's an article i'm using air quotes yeah. that people yeah. who are listening can't see but it's an article but you had a pretty
1: strong hand in making it come to pass yeah yeah sure well so i had a long term the breitbart embassy has these like parties and so I, I did a long working what i thought was my job as a pr flack was meeting media sy- hype so i went to mainstream media confabs and i went to conservative ones and i tried to make friends i made friends with people at the weekly standard, like all across the board. Right. And, um, so I'd go to these parties and I, I, and the Breitbart embassy, just,
0: just to interject real quickly, yeah. the Breitbart embassy is this townhouse on Capitol Hill yeah. that Breitbart people bought and they would throw parties. And some of them maybe lived there and kind of didn't. And yeah. it was, it was a big was office. Sort of party and a house, a place. place and, yeah, right? exactly.
1: And so I, you know, I would go there and I built relationships. i met Steve um, Bannon at that time. And, uh, and boil and you could just go down the list Gutfelt was around there all the time now now he's on fox and and so I, I would go and build these relationships i did it and then we would host we would host blog you know we'd have all the weekly standard people over and then all the bright bar people over and then all the daily caller people over to our office at america rising and kind of tell them about what they're doing do it for relationship building i'd throw them favors you know what we both a lot of times it was mutual right you're just in this it's a little bit of a cesspool of like you're trying to spread, pro- it's propaganda, right? You're trying to spread propaganda. Like, let's just be honest. And so, if you're a reporter at one of these outlets, okay, you want to come to the America Rising thing because you know I'm going to give you a little tidbit on some Democrat that one of our trackers uncovers, right? Yep. Then you yep. get a pat on your head from your boss. That goes up. Then I send that article to Drudge. Then Drudge links it. And now you get a bunch of traffic coming in. Now your boss gets you a And pat a Drudge link,
0: just to give people a sense, I mean, a Drudge link. Can take an article that might get 10,000 views and, you know, back in the day could get it three quarters of a million views. I mean, the, the, exactly. the orders of magnitude that Drudge could do. If you got your stories on Drudge as a reporter, it was a sign that you were to steal you to steal one of your 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 phrases. um describing politicians later in the book in the mix like you 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 got it you you were a good reporter people had to read your stuff the more you on drudge the better you did the more people wanted it and the more likely it was that you'd get more of these kinds of tips
1: right and then the numbers would go up on the site and so yeah so so anyway there's this is this kind of feedback loop where my bosses our donors our clients whichever case are happy because we're getting a clean article and whatever conservative website serve website persons happy because they got an exclusive we get it to drudge everybody's happy they're getting more clicks i can you know send around the drudge screenshot to our donors and 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 it's just you know it, it was it was one part relationship building um you know and then one part kind of mutually beneficial work product here's the thing and 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 by the way you know this book is about Republican politics. That's what I'm in. There's certainly an element to this on the left, right? Sure. Um yeah, for sure, no doubt. Um, I think that that you know we could get deep into. I think that there are some differences in certain ways. In some ways. Sometimes it's like the mainstream outlets that serve this purpose for the left, and the ideological outlets are more like Correct. hostile and policy oriented, right? Yes. But but like the conservative media, I had three chapters on this, so I'll send you the drafts if you want, Steve. We cut it down to one because I felt like not everybody was obsessed with the conservative media as much as I, as I am. No, but, I need them all. But I need them all. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you I'll, I'll give you the director's cut. Um, but uh but you know, what what I basically wrote in this in the longer version is just how incestuous it is. And it's it's not, I mean. Are there journalists within the conservative media ecosystem? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Are there there, uh, incidences of journalism (laughs) happening in the conservative media ecosystem? Of course. But, like, is the whole undertaking journalism? When the donors to America Rising and the NRSC are the same as the donors to the conservative media outlet, and the main goal is to get on drudge to smear the Democrats so that you can win elections? Like, is this ecosystem journalism? Like not really, right? And and what it served is, in my opinion, and you can maybe this is where you disagree with me. I think it just was this feedback loop that we are all complicit in, that that fed people's anger and yeah. grievance, you know. Yeah. And 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 which then you know you have to one up yourself, right? And and I, it was funny. I did one just really quick. One interview with I was doing a bunch of Breitbart interviews with the, anyone who talked to me, and it was and, I, and and I think this one was on background, so I won't say it was. But the reporter Breitbart says to me when writing this book. I mean, we were responsible on the January sixth stuff. Look at what Gateway pundit and Newsmax and OAN were doing compared <laughs> to us, you know. And it's hilarious because, like, this is what we were saying. This is what you were saying about Breitbart back then, right? right. And it's just like, like, you can always one up it. You can always up the yeah. ante. And so, if there's no, you know, if there's no check, if there's no self policing, you know, of of your of yourself on your own side, then I, there's always going to be somebody who's going to get more conspiratorial, more extreme, more ragey. Uh, what's how do you stop that? I, we haven't, right? I mean, it's just, uh, if you just compare 2008 to now, you know, you can see some parallels, but it, like, we're just on this, this glide path up and maybe, I don't know, maybe some things like the Dix dispatch are correcting it now. I think mean, there's now starting to be some correctives, but like s- slowly. I would say it's considerably worse today than it was
0: in that time yeah. frame, just because yeah. of the, the profusion of, Outlets that are doing this, I mean, it's basically OPPO work. Right. And, and not even, op- I mean, it, in a weird way, I would say opposition research in 2008, 2010 timeframe was more concerned with presenting things that were true than many right. of the conservative media outlets do now, right? They just make
1: stuff up out of whole cloth. One of my colleagues at America Rising, because I, I called this to him and I'm, you know, I'm still writing a politics, but I'm not in the Republican inter-Nicene wars as much, right? Because I'm like, I don't care who wins the Pennsylvania governor's race. They're all f-ing terrible as far as I'm concerned. But um, uh, I called one of them. And I was like, I don't feel like I see rising stuff as much anymore. What's the reason? And he's like, dude you know, you can feel bad about your work here, but like we were always in facts. Like we always yes. worked in facts, Yeah. right? And, and that's true. Like we did, we had our own bumpers and rules and, and, you know, there were certain things I wouldn't do because I was like, this feels gross, right? Like I, I wasn't as totally, you know, devoid of morals hatchet, man. Like we had these kind of imaginary lines that we created, right? And norms. And and now, he's like, what what's, what point does rising serve? Like, why do I, if I give a little fact to, whatever, the examiner, to write a piece, okay, that's fine about a candidate, but then compare it to, well, Charlie Kirk and Don Jr.'s Twitter feed could just blast right. out something about that candidate that's a total smear that has nothing to do with reality, and that has a hundred times the views. So, like, what's the point, you know? So, in some ways, that's, that uh, that kind of, it's your so exact distorted. point, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's
0: so distorted now. It's, It's hard to even. I mean, there seems to be just a disregard for the truth in in politics, and I don't think that I'm precious. Like I, I don't look back to you know the good old days of everybody telling the truth all the time, but it's 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 distorted to the point of uh, almost unrecognizable today. Can we spend a minute on on IJR Independent Journal Review? Um, You tell the story. You tell it at some length, and I, and I, I. I know the story of IJR. I, I'm sure some of our listeners uh, have used to go to, to IJR get their news. Some very good journalists came through IJR. Haley Bird Wilt, she got her start in journalism at IJR yeah. before she worked to the Standard. Went to the CNN. Now she's she does uphill for us and is is an extraordinarily talented journalist. But t- t- how did IJR come into being? What was their sort of business idea, and
1: how did it fare? Because this is a really, I mean, really interesting part yeah, of the book from I, my perspective. I included them because I felt like they were like this microcosm of what happened to how the discourse got out of control. Yes. And I was buddies with them. So I tried and to get And you're that right I about know. that, by the way. So as
0: people listen to you talk about it, they should understand this is just what happened again and again and again and again.
1: Yeah, right. Um, but uh, so they started in. I guess it was 11 right around when America Rising started 12. Um and so, you know, we we had these sort of startups at the same time. And so I, I knew those guys really well. And um uh their concept was was basically taking Facebook memes like for short or very short articles that that would spread on social media and and getting people to share them at scale, right? And so they were like really these first of the conservative meme world you know so it was if in 2004 really really good good at at it it. clever funny um and uh and you know in 2004 if you were getting the forward emails of like john Kerry throwing the football like looking effeminate or whatever like they that was they they updated that for the social media era like the same thing some serious stuff and i interviewed with them in the in Uh, with Bubba Atkinson who was over there and he gave me a great line for the book he's like when we started it we saw IJR as like this meal it was like the cd what FDA food guidelines he's like we got to give people some veggies we got to give them some meat and then we got to give them some red meat and then it all the way goes up to heroin a little bit of heroin from time to time (laughs) you know we give them right (laughs) and uh and I was like okay well you (laughs) should I guess now we all know where this ends right um you can't just give people a little bit of heroin um and so essentially, they they go off to the stratosphere. They end they end up getting more views in a month than, than national view and weekly Standard are getting in a year. I mean, you know, they just sure. they just totally skyrocketed for like a, you know because of just the, the way that social media works and the way that they could you know exponentially expand the eyeballs. Um, and and this is during the the uh, you know now the fourteen midterm and then up into the fifteen uh, you know re- Republican presidential primary the guy who started it says okay now we have all these eyebrows i want to go mainstream i want to be the buzzfeed of the right basically right i want to be center right buzzfeed and so you know the people take us seriously we'll have real reporters we'll also have meme reporters and like we'll balance all this in one website that's like a modern website to me at the time i was like that's a great idea you're going to be a billionaire like this makes total sense like this is needed out there what happens trump trump comes into the picture and all of a sudden the list viewers of this website didn't want joyful, funny memes that like made fun of everybody in power. Like they wanted Trump propaganda. And the people at the site that were willing to deliver them that, Benny Johnson, can I say Benny Johnson on this website? Like did very well because they started getting more and more clicks because they saw what the audience was going. The people at the site who want like Haley, I assume I didn't interview Haley for this, but the people who are providing real reporting, they weren't getting that good in numbers. And, you know, all of a sudden, this wasn't tenable. And it was it was basically the same thing that was happening over in the primary, where you had Marco Rubio was the Haley stand in and her staff, they're trying to kind of balance giving people a little bit of red meat with also being serious and offering policy. And but the people are like, No, I want that guy that's gonna uh, tell me everything that I want to hear and feed my grievances. The same thing was happening in the media world at the same time. And so others looked at saw IJR and and saw the opportunity. There are many imitators. Charlie Kirk, we just mentioned one of them, right? And eventually, you know, very quickly, actually, IJR just gets outflanked, right? Like other people are willing to give all heroin all the time, and so like the tiny bit of heroin, you know, next to next to spinach, <laughs> like was, wasn't selling. It people wasn't even green spinach. No, was <laughs> yeah, regular people, spinach. <laughs> yeah, people didn't want the spinach, so uh, uh, IJR collapses. So it goes from having more eyeballs than literally anything except for Drudge and Fox for a moment. To so now being gone, if you Google IJ, IJ review on Google, it, it says, it says did you mean in review? It doesn't even show. Up. It's like yeah. completely gone. And that, that fast disappeared.
0: Well, this is, I mean, as I listen to the book, I, I would get frustrated with you for your just sort of relentless cynicism. Just be like, Tim, come on, don't be so cynical. And then you would talk about something like January 6th when on January 6th you predicted yeah these guys are all going to come back which By which Valentine's I certainly Day. didn't believe and I'm like ah okay maybe cynicism is is called for here but but you have a you have a line in the book and I I didn't write it down because I was driving but you sort of look at the Daily Caller, which had um, not exactly the same path, but a similar path where they start out, founded by Tucker Carlson, he goes to CPAC and gives a big speech and says he wants to be the New York Times the write. And this is going to be reporting. It's going to be serious. They're going to do thoughtful work, et cetera, et cetera. Um, IJR has the same thing. and And you get to the point in the book where you almost mock, I mean, not almost, you directly mock anyone who would think that they could create a center-right media company that would do serious reporting, thoughtful. You can imagine where that, how that <laughs> didn't hit right with me. You're basically like, these people are morons if they think that they can pull this off. Nobody wants this. And I would just say to you, does nobody want this? I mean, I can assure you that we are not going to go the clickbaity way at the Dispatch. Um, and and provide more heroin. We're yeah. not going to provide any Somebody. heroin. We're not going to provide more heroin than we do stuff that provides actual intellectual and civic nourishment. But
1: does that mean that we're destined to to fail? Well, I said in the book that, or I said I, I wanted people like Steve Hayes to feel seen. So I'm glad that I <laughs> seem to have achieved that. Uh, and I also wanted to at least convince a couple a couple people to quit their jobs, but not at the dispatch. Uh maybe at some of those other outlets quit their jobs, um, or some of those other candidates. Uh, uh the, what I, I I said, and I think the Federalist was the other example. They were supposed to be the Atlantic of the right, right? So at least yes, three examples. Right. Was a buzz it was a BuzzFeed, the Atlantic, the New York Times of the Right, and all have either failed or turned into just like, you know, Trumpian ball cuppers, right? And like, that's it. Um, and so, okay, maybe there's an appetite for this. I do think, well, I mean, I, I say we're at the Bulwark. We're center, uh, you know, um, right. I, and, and so I, I think that there are niche ways. I love what you guys are doing. I love what the Bulwark's doing. Uh, obviously, we're different. We get into that a little bit if you want. But I mean, I think that the idea that is there an audience for center-right journalism? Yeah, sure. Sure, there is. But, but it's just niche. I, I yeah it's niche. I mean you're it's not competing tiny. with yeah. I don't. I think so. I mean okay. I, here's why the thing.
0: can something like why could something like the Atlantic Center left does I think very good journalism. I agree with some of it. Disagree with a lot of yeah. it. I find it engaging. I find it well written, well edited. And you know what do they have? A million paying subscribers. Something on on the order of a million paying. Maybe it's not that many tremendously successful new yorker sort of the same way i mean the, the dispatch is not the atlantic the dispatch is not yeah, the sure, new sure. Yorker, we don't it. want to be but why should we believe unless you have this sort of built-in hostility to people on the right and think that they're incapable of that kind of thoughtful discourse or, or interested in that kind of good
1: writing why can't that work now we're getting interesting i like this um. <laughs> Uh, okay, two things is happening. One, I just just to be clear, what I said in the article, so I know that you know, Dispatch is feeling a little touchy, but what I said is that the, uh, the notion that you could have a New York Times, an Atlantic, or a BuzzFeed where the serious center-right stuff lives in harmony with the heroin pro-Trumpy memes is not sustainable. And, I, and, I, and so, so and the Dispatch isn't trying to do that, so, so you weren't exactly what I was talking about. Why don't I think the Dispatch could have the scale at the Atlantic? I, I I do think, and you might say this is hostility. I don't think so. I, the nature of the coalition's are different. And like that's just as true. and 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 the and the Republican coalition has gotten less and less interested in the, you know, sort of like policy heavy. Uh, material i just I, I think that if you deny look i think that there's some parallels between the right and the left i think the way that we are driving each other's rage and grievance is a total parallel and I, I think that's fair i think the you know the way that like the tactics that are used on the left i've been criticizing the way that they're like pushing up these these insane idiots uh, like in illinois and pennsylvania to win primaries and get it right so tactically yeah. there's some parallels so look it's, i'm not saying that the left is angels but but I think that there are also some differences and 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 the, and the rights coalition right now like has proven over the last six years to not have like the antibot the people that are interested in in like in having like these more serious debates there are some people obviously there's the wall street journal editorial board that is that is doing it like there are some serious there are commentary you guys aren't the only ones that do serious stuff sure no but like but like the reality is. That, that a lot of the college-educated, centrist voters left the Republican Party in the last six years and they've been replaced by non-college-educated, culturally conservative, working-class voters. I, I just, I, are some of those people, I'm not saying that because they're not college-educated, they can't read the dispatch. Like, I'm not saying that they're idiots, but like, what are they interested in? I just think, you just look at the evidence. Look at what is happening in the Democratic primaries and Republican primaries. You can say, well, and both sides are moving to the extremes. that's true, but on the Democratic primaries, they're moving to the extremes on these like weird liberal like ha- like Harvard faculty lounge, st- you know policy oriented right. stuff, like we want to expand the Supreme Court and we want to you know whatever we need socialized medicine and we you know it's like policy lefty stuff on in the Republican primaries, what is happening is. Like we need to pretend that that the Chinese stole the 2020 election and that vaccines right. don't work, right. and like so the t- the nature of the extremism is different, and so I, I think that that if you you know sort of like I was saying, if there was this parallel in the 2020 primary between IJ as Marco and Trump as whatever right. the Daily Caller, this still this is still happening right now, I, I, and and I think that. I don't know i uh, to me, I think that for the dispatch to become big, you should probably try to start appealing to center left people. I think that's more likely than than appealing than you know is than creating a plate that also brings in some of the mega folks. Maybe I'm wrong about that I don't think so though
0: no i mean i I, I mean it's an interesting answer i i, I guess i'm I'm first interested in, in the fact that I ask a question about journalism and you answer it i think in a political framing right i answer, I ask a question about whether something like this, like a center left or a center right Atlantic or New Yorker could succeed and whether the audience is there for that. And you talked about coalitions, which right. maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I don't think about, I don't think about it as a coalition. Like I'm not, I don't, we're not trying to put together a coalition. I want to do really interesting right. journalism. Um, yeah. And, and the question to me is whether there are enough people who would be interested in that really interesting journalism that comes to questions, and issues of politics, policy, and culture from a center-right perspective. I don't care. I don't care much about practical politics these days. I certainly care a lot less about it than than I used to. And I don't, like, I guess I don't think about this stuff in terms of, of coalitions. Am I... Overreading your framing or putting words in your mouth?
1: Well, no, I was just trying to... Th- I, I guess the point that I was trying to make is I was talking about the Democratic and Republican coalitions, and you're just assuming that the, a center-right readership would come from within the, within the Republican coalition, and I was expressing why I think that that is not... why that hasn't worked, like, to date. I mean, again, I think it, it works to a degree. I'm not saying the dispatch hasn't worked, but why kind of putting together an audience for journalism that, like, combines... <laughs> center right journalism serious journalism with like things that appeal to the rest of the republican coalition I, I i don't think that has worked and that's why because the audience i no i i don't I, I mean i think that you guys are doing good i don't i think that like the notion that could we write, oh, could wait, write I'm, not, I'm not fishing for compliments here i'm really yeah, no, 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 no no but i no, but i do think <laughs> i i know people that write i i talk to people who are like liberals who read so this isn't about coalition building it's about audience right like the dispatch is providing journalism that is a different perspective from what they are reading day in day out in their feeds right like they like you guys have a different yeah. background and focus on some different issues so sure I, I could that could that work i guess so um i, I think that that could work but I, I i but then i think that reflects the fact that that's a different strategy than what i'm talking about in the book you know with okay, now there still is a different challenge that we come to. It's, I guess you might think it's political, and it might not be political, not journalism, but it's like, yeah. who's speaking to those other people? Totally. Like Who's speaking to the people that are... And for a while, I think there was this idea that you could kind of you know, work your way and, and speak to the like, MAGA conspiratorial kind of crowd on the same platform that you're providing you know, fact-based journalism... And like, there's just not a lot of evidence that, that, is, that that's happening. And so then yeah, I, there's another I think kind of fair. cultural societal question, which is how do we reach these people? That's not what I get into in the book. That's a different question.
0: you anticipated where i wanted to go next because the 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 second half of the of the book is a really interesting almost zoological um, <laughs> anthropological sociological assessment of who were the trump supporters trump enablers why did they do what they did i mean the the title of the book and i think it's fascinating i've Lots of differences probably within um, some of the examples you gave, and a big picture difference that I want to explore with you. Before we, but okay. before we do that, explain to to our listeners what why did people generally and get into your get into your categories because I think yeah. they're very interesting. Why did people come to support Donald Trump who might not have been expected to support Donald Trump?
1: Yeah, there were a lot of them. I'll start with the one that surprised me the most, which was. Which isn't shouldn't be surprising now, but at the time. Demonization of the left. Like just a deep well of hatred. And 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 just really quick, I wanna say this book is not about Steve. Like this is not about ideolog like or even people more ideological than you, ideologically rigid. I just I didn't think that's interesting, or or it's interesting, but I could write a whole other book about it, right? I mean, it would have been, had to be a 400-page book for me to go through. Well, abortion is the reason they went along with it, or yep. because they feel very strongly about the border. You know, like, we could go through everybody's issue. base. I'm talking about people who were gen, generally conservative-ish, Republican-ish, but knew Trump was a lunatic. And why did they go along with it? Like, these are my case studies in the zoo and there's zoological <laughs> zoological. Yeah. Uh, that's the zoo that I'm, that I'm working with
0: And, and the emphasis was on party people, right? I mean, you yeah. were talking yeah. about political, you know, more, not all of them. i mean, the Alyssa, the Alyssa Farah, um, yeah. section was really interesting to me, but y- you know, you, you, you focused
1: on political people, right? Yeah. People that I worked with that I knew in exactly. my life, RNC people, et cetera. So, um, yeah, the thing that was the most surprising was just his demonization. I don't know. This goes back to the tongue-in-cheek thing with Steve, I'll uh, circling back to why I feel bad about this. I was attacking Obama tongue-in-cheek. I didn't like I disagreed with Obamacare on balance. Like, you know, I mean, I disagreed with various things that he did. I, I didn't think his foreign policy was great, but I didn't hate Obama. I would have loved to go have dinner with Obama. We both like basketball. You know, we both agreed on immigration and gay stuff. <laughs> I'm sure there are a couple other issues that we agreed on if I thought about it. Like, I, I didn't hate him. I, my friends worked for Obama. We would fight on Twitter and then go have beers after. Like, that was like our life. And there's something a little gross about that in retrospect, I think. Um, and, uh, and so I projected that onto all my, fr- all my colleagues. And I think that every, I thought everybody else was sort of, it was like a little bit of world worldwide wrestling. There's a little bit of wrestling element to this. Like we yeah. all kind of tend to like Mitt Romney and McCain better, but you know, we don't hate him. We don't think that he's a, from Africa and like a, you know, condescending, you know, all these sort of racially coded things that people hated him and all the other. So, okay, that was wrong. I found out when I was interviewing everybody, particularly the on background interviews that I didn't get to name in the book, but like people that worked for moderate Republicans across DC, they f- hated Obama. Like, like really viscerally hated him. Um, they were not tongue in cheek like me. Um, and they hate the left. They hate the pronouns. They hate the can they hate the pe- the cousin that has purple hair. I, you know, all these different reasons. I like the Carol Rand interview. You know, she goes on this whole rant about people in their Priuses with their coexist stickers and their coffee culottas. And I was like, I, I live in Oakland with my husband and my black daughter. <laughs> I don't, she goes to like every person at the school she goes to vote for Bernie. Some of my friends are there. Like, this is just not me. Like, I didn't have that. I didn't have that hatred about of the left. So that surprised me, um, the demonization. And then just quickly through the others, um, you know, just a general inertia about your career. Hard to come up with a new, uh, it's hard to break, to change your career, to change your identity. Like I'm a Republican. My friends are Republicans. I go to Republican bars can I really change that over Donald Trump? Can I lose friends? You and Jonah went through this. It's hard. It's hard socially. Um, you know, then and there if you've is- seen
0: yourself as if, – if the peak of the career you imagine for yourself is running Republican presidential campaigns or in your case standing yeah. at the White House podium for a Republican right. president, you're taking a huge departure if you bail on a Republican who's the nominee.
1: Yeah, if you bail, right? It's much easier to say, okay, I'll just go take a job working for John Cornyn and, and hang out for four years, right? Or whatever, um, you know? Uh, so there's that. Uh, uh, then this DC kind of culture stuff, desire to be in the mix. I want to be in the room where it happened. Like this was a huge thing um, for people um uh a the trump thing gave people a lot of opportunity there was straight ambition like i use elise stefanik like i'm a striver i want to be on the vp shortlist next time i can go there's a down market version of that that's like stephanie grisham i could never have been in the white house if it wasn't for donald trump why wouldn't i take it now um uh that though that was a big one and then you know then there were people that rationalized it because well it's uh, what if i walk off the field who could who might it be, you know, it yeah. might be a white nationalist that takes my job, or it might be somebody else. I'm needed, actually. Um, th- that, th- those were the general, you know, categorizations. Um, there, were, there were some other ones, but like, those were the main ones of the interview. So I
0: think it. it's your last one where I, where I wouldn't, it's too strong to say I would disagree with you, but I, I would say even as cynical as I can sometimes be after having lived through the last eight years, um, I'm not that cynical. I, I think some people, who went into- can i just interrupt
1: and say i am earnestly cynical <laughs> sometimes <laughs> sometimes cynicism comes with like a not a not a belief that things can't get better i'm earnest but a bit jaded how about that i just want to correct the language you disagree with that you don't even think i'm earnest i mean, just straight cynical i think you're i think you're yeah
0: i i mean i think you're earnest um but i would say that you're at least in, in the book Please. um i would say that you're earnest about different things than you're cynical about like there's not a lot of hope in the book, right? Like I don't finish the book and think like, oh, this is going to get better. Yeah, like no, this. They, no nobody, nobody, nobody could read it and, and think that yeah. way. But no. I, but I want to go back to that because I, I mean, I, you know, I, we probably talked to many of the same people, but um, you know, particularly in the in the months after Trump won the uh, the Republican nomination, and then certainly after uh, Trump was elected and before he was inaugurated, I was talking to a lot of these people who would go on and fill very senior roles at the White House and the administration broadly, cabinet secretaries, what have you. And, you know, the argument I would get or the the case that they would make was I need to be in the room where this is happening, where these decisions are making, uh, are being made, so that when there comes something catastrophic, I can weigh in. I can reshape it. I can help. And, I mean, people can't see your face right now, but you're looking at me right now like I'm crazy <laughs> to, to have thought that. That's and like, there's a lot of evidence. There's a lot, of evidence. there's a lot of evidence. It's
1: 2022, right? Did, we, did I do a time machine back to a 2017 interview? So okay, let's go. Go, case, go ahead. Finish. The best case against your
0: cynicism and for my eternal optimism yeah. are the people that we're seeing testify before the January 6th committee. I mean, and, and, and even before that, Bob Barr, you you are certainly fair to say you're not a fan of of uh or Bill Barr. Bill Barr, me. yeah, Bill Barr, not Bob Barr. Probably not a I was fan. Like, of Bob what does Barr Bob either. Barr. After did Attorney General <laughs> Bill Barr. Um, yeah, he's horrible. Quits and and says this is a marker. This is too far. uh Pat cipollone White wait, House. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute.
1: Counsel. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. Bill Barr quit. And wrote a press release about how great Donald Trump was as a leader and how honored he was to work with him and how he's a wonderful, he'll go down in the annals of history as the greatest orange president of all time. And then, and then testified a year later. Correct. After a year after January 6th. But anyway, just, just but, for the record, he didn't but Quit. He didn't speak fair
0: enough. Fair enough. You could probably add more details there, but quit, you know, try to convince the president that the arguments that he was making. About the stolen election, were in yep. in bars parlance bullshit. Um, has testified against Trump in these depositions for the January sixth committee. Pat Cipollone, there's you know, sort of endless stories about Pat Cipollone, White House counsel beating back the uh, Sidney Powells and the John Eastmans and these others. There's Eric Hirschman who defends the president in his first impeachment trial. I thought the president should have been impeached and convicted. Eric Hirschman defended him on something I thought was indefensible, but speaks out and says, no, like this is too much. This is too far. And you can go on. I mean, there are lots of people like this, but of course the the big one would be Mike Pence, who, you know, at some, I would say, personal risk to his own security, having lived through four years of this and, and, and fluffed trump and and polished him and you know all of the things that that you would say but ultimately does the right thing when it's really really hard to do i'm not saying that th- these are sort of heroes who we should teach our children in history but but they did the right thing at a difficult time and i think in some ways justified the argument that I need to be there for when something really bad happens. I can do the right thing.
1: I mean, Steve. Okay. I don't know. Cassidy did the right thing. Um, all these other people. Look, we were, we were really, really close to like a just unsalvageable constitutional crisis. Correct. I mean, like, and what the only of, thing that what stopped it are the people that you've criticized. Right? No. I mean, well, I guess what stopped it was Joe Biden winning the election. And, and, and that's what happened. Joe Biden won four states. What if he'd only won one? What if he'd only been yeah. one state? You know, what if there'd only been one state? And then the whole, we could just pray to God that it was Brad Raffensberger in that state. Brad Ravensburger did a great job. Good for Brad Ravensburger. I've had nothing but unvarnished compliments for him. Just like I was very nice to Alyssa, I thought, in the book, and very praiseworthy of Cassidy. People, some people can do the right thing un, unimpeachably. Here's the problem that I had. Everyone in D.C., and you know this, Back in your conversation, 2017, everybody who went in used that same argument. Ooh, I need to be in there, Steve. I need to be in there. You need somebody like me in there. We need good people. It's the government. It's our government. How many people that went, how many politicals worked for Trump over four years? Thousands. How many people in 2020 said this was a crazy man? And we need to stop him and we need to support Joe Biden because he's the only one that can stop him. Or if you can't get around to Joe Biden, if you're a conservative dispatch listener, we need to have someone primary him, which is something that I worked my ass off to try to recruit somebody to primary him. Nobody would do it. So then the next step was to work for Joe Biden. Uh, uh, Nobody like Olivia Troy, Elizabeth Newman, Miles. Like that's the list. Like that's the list who came out in this in this whole enormous government. My and you still have do, my, some of my, those
0: same people saying that they will support Trump, well, saying well, Trump trying to steal an election, election. but he's, <laughs> still than the, he's
1: still better than the left because right. I don't want my grandkid doing she, putting they, them in their email signature. I'm sorry. I, I, there's some things that are wrong with the left, I'm sure. But like, but, but, okay, but this is, this was an existential threat and everyone knew it. It wasn't like this big secret that he came up at January. Anybody who went in I and mean, Bill Barr, are you kidding me? Like he went and took the job as attorney general after he saw all the things that Donald Trump did to Jeff Sessions. Like For some sure. of these people went in after Charlottesville. And th- Charlotte's after, still, yeah, I mean, all of uh, you, yeah, after you have Charlotte's a great after,
0: litany in the, in the book, you <laughs> yeah. have a great, like, I forget who you were describing, but it's like after this and after, after that, this and after this and after this. They and still it's, a, went in. it's a
1: stunning list. Okay. Yeah. yeah Lafayette park. And so I, I just, you know, this was my problem with Alyssa and I was, I thought fair to her, but I was like, why didn't you leave? She gives me a whole list of all the things that she prevented while she was inside. And, and I did a whole podcast with her, so I'm not speaking the school. You can listen to the Ryan Lizza podcast if you want to hear us go back and forth on this. But I, yeah, she, she's like, he wanted to do the Insurrection Act and he wanted to fire Esper and he wanted to make Scott Atlas the head of the pandemic response and on and on. And I'm, and I'm saying, Alyssa, this is a madman. And this is a madman that tried to end our democracy and wanted to put a quack in charge of a deadly pandemic that was killing, you know, killed over a million people. Like this is a person with no self control. Everyone but if saw not this. There to help why stop didn't it? Why didn't anybody wave the flag? Okay, but what do you mean, John Kelly, Jim Mattis, H.R. McMaster, Cone, Dina? I had to listen to all this bullshit about how they were in there saving us for years. None of them supported Joe Biden. None of them helped to do a primary. No, but you, you don't, I don't think it has they were to be all a gone. political they binary. They were all gone. I don't think it has to be a political
0: binary. I mean, H.R. McMaster argued against the precipitous withdrawal of troops from Afghanistan. That would have led to arguably a, a greater mm-hmm. catastrophe than we saw with Joe Biden. You know, okay. you had people, you had I'm members sorry, of people, Congress I'm who sorry, were supporting I'm sorry, Steve, Trump's. but people
1: voted for that. People voted for that, okay? And I'm not saying we had to just let the world burn, but maybe we could have had 17 Republicans with balls that would have convicted him if it was, if it was Lynn Wood and Sidney Powell running the, running the White House at the end, okay? I, I just, this is a counterfactual, but, but we went through two impeachments of him in an election and none of these people showed the balls to do anything about it. They tell me that they're saving the country, but they don't actually do anything to stop him. I don't know. You know, Mitch McConnell goes and gives a speech. Maybe if we let Donald Trump, unadulterated Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani run around the white house for two months, maybe Mitch McConnell would have come up with the stones to actually convict him. And then we'd be done with this. And by the way, for conservative listeners, what would what would be happening right now? Ron DeSantis would be the person. You would get Ron DeSantis. I, this is what I don't. This is the thing I tried to deal with this whole time. This is illogical. This is it's irrational. This notion that they were protecting us or saving us or helping us—they were protecting themselves. I'm sorry, they're protecting themselves and their career. I don't think these two things are mutually exclusive. I
0: mean, I think many of the people that we've talked about took the jobs because they have great ambition. They wanted to be famous. Yeah, they liked the right. title. All of the stuff. They wanted yeah. to be in the room. They right. wanted the power. All the stuff. None of this. None of what I'm saying is. An effort and i assume you know this by now to exonerate those people from that bad behavior i've been fairly of critical of, of of them of course Mitch i just think that this is, is
1: a pernicious excuse that a lot of but people I, have gotten away with because it's cozy it's comfortable but it's also true right i mean it's also true right like
0: if if ryan's previous hadn't been the first chief of staff it could well have been steve bannon that would have been a disaster right Maybe, maybe, but that's what people voted so for. So what happens? Know, this is, but what happens then? What happens in that I case? Don't
1: know. I, I, I don't
0: know. Maybe I mean, we if, do. A, maybe if, we have an none actual of the Muslim good people ban. Do it. If none of the good maybe, people maybe take we have the an jobs, actual Muslim.
1: I got. But here's what I think, Steve. Here we are. We're still going round and round. We're having all these arguments. We have to listen to people be like, "Well, it wasn't a real Muslim ban. They just put people with green cards in cages in the airport for a minute." Uh, Maybe we would have had to have an actual Muslim ban and then people could then then the rest of these cowardly Republicans who went along with the Republican with a Muslim ban could have campaigned in 2018 and 2020 on their support for a real Muslim ban if Steve Bannon was in there. I don't know. That would have been unconscionable, but we voted for it. That's what the country voted for. I just look, I I think H.R. McMaster is a different case, a national security case. I get it. But you're telling me that you're like some some comm staffer that you're saving things from happening. I, I don't, I, I don't, know. I don't buy it. That Reince I think was saving, degrees. Reince was saving things and making things better. Reince was really, I'm not buying it. John Kelly, who implemented the damn Muslim ban, then gets a promotion. Well, where was he? Where were all these people? These guys, all these guys, the, 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 the generals that were supposed to be saving us, they were marching with him through Lafayette Square. Uh, peace, breaking up a peaceful protest with with tears, Doesn't gas. it help
0: that somebody like John Kelly comes out and is able to offer first hand criticism? Doesn't it help that that Mark Esper is able to did do he? that?
1: I don't know. Yeah, I begged John sure. Kelly to do it. I begged John Kelly to do a Republican voters against Trump ad. He wouldn't he didn't do it. I don't know. he
0: still criticized Trump. He has authority barely, he say, I that was in there. Did anybody Did
1: anybody actually use it? Did anybody was it useful? I, Trump got Trump got babyed again and again by a bunch of people who got huge benefit from from jobs that they never would have gotten and 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 protected him from his worst instincts Uh, you know should we have had somebody making sure he can't push the button on a nuke absolutely like was it good that hr mcmaster was in there absolutely should people have had to live through the consequences of their actions and might might we be in a better place might everybody might the country might conservatives be in a better place if donald trump had to deal with the consequences of his own beliefs and behavior and actions I, maybe not i don't know it's a counterfactual but that's what i that's what i think and i just think that the evidence is that we're sitting here and he's still around in 2022 he's still getting babied and and well i here hate we that, are i hate that we're out of time i hate <laughs> that i've gone six minutes over because i
0: feel like we're just on the verge of solving this right now <laughs> you do we're, we're, we're about to reach a breakthrough moment this is, moment. <laughs> this,
1: is your, this is your point my, my publisher said okay so usually these books have a chapter at the end you've written books like this you know about this it's like now what right. and i started to write that chapter and i'd look and then i messaged him and i was like this isn't one of those books no. <laughs> this book isn't, isn't getting a what, what now chapter i'm sorry we're just this is just real talk and you know we can all get together and maybe have an have another made up to discuss what happens next
0: well i do think i I do think people should take the time to read the book it is fascinating i I said it was it's insightful again and again and again and again i think certainly part of it is because you know we lived in some ways parallel lives in some ways very different (laughs) lives um but really worth the time and i'm glad you came here to to talk to us about it it was
1: great Steve, uh, keep my man Declan in check over there. Okay, it's hard. And, um, it's a full time job. It is, I know. I know he's tough. Uh, and uh, it's so good to be with you. We can do this another hour sometime. Maybe I'm we can reverse. I'll take the I'll take the mic next time. Let's do it. I'm for it. All right, later, man.